Welcome back to Access Praise Gathering, everybody. Are you happy to be alive today? Yes. Praise the Lord. You know, with every breath we have, every day we wake, we could take that breath and turn it up to praise the Lord, yeah? I love worshiping together with our fellowship here. It is such a blessing for us to come together week in and week out. You know, every week we come here on Saturday and we have such a blessed time fellowshipping with one another and growing together in Christ, yes? I love studying God's word and I love the word that he's given us this, this week. I came across um, a story that I knew very well as a child. It was about the strong man in the Bible and his name is? Samson, you heard his name, you know this guy. Even people that don't know the Bible, they have heard of Samson, the strong man, yeah? And his story is found here in just a few short chapters of the book of Judges, Judges once again. If you were here last week, you remember that we studied about Gideon. Gideon was one of the judges. And we remember that at this time, at this point in time, as we read through the Bible, the Israelites kept disobeying God. They kept falling away from God and worshiping other gods. And in their evilness and their disobedience, because they kept falling away and forgetting the Lord, the Lord decided to turn them over into the hands of another, and they were oppressed for a number of years. Now, we remember with Gideon, he was grinding the wheat in the bottom of that wine press for how many years? Do you remember? Seven long years that they were under the oppression of their enemies. And through, there were about 13 different times of the judges before it came to Samson. 13 different times that the Israelites fell into oppression and finally it came to the time of Samson. But do you know how long the Israelites were oppressed this time? 40 long years. I'm not even 40 yet, but for 40 years, the Israelites were oppressed by the Philistines because of their disobedience. We read this as we turn our Bibles to Judges chapter 13, and our story starts there. A Nazarite vow from birth, Judges 13, and we see in the first verse, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Again. Isn't it sad? It's like we don't learn our lesson, right? And the Israelites, they certainly did not learn their lesson, and the Lord had to send a judge to free them from the oppression of their enemy and then give them a few years of peace. But during those years of peace, they had time to just be right with God. But rather than being right with God, they ended up turning their eyes to other things, looking onto the pagan gods and worshiping their gods. So God, was he being wicked when he decided to allow them to be oppressed by their enemy? Was it fair of God to be doing this? I mean, I know you're probably afraid, like I was, of saying, yeah, God was mean. That's not fair. God's not fair. Because we know that God is good. We know that he is loving. And we know that he is fair. The Bible tells us that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And this was a form of discipline for his children, the chosen people of Israel. Okay? 
So these Israelites really needed to learn their lesson for 40 years in oppression. Then God says, it's time that I'm going to raise up a judge again to free the Israelites from their bondage under their enemy. And this is where we get the story of Samson. I love that of all the judges, Samson was the strong man. But there was something different about Samson from all the other judges that served before him. A certain man of Zorah named Mona, Manoah. Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. Now this sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Could you think of other people in the Bible where it mentions a woman that is barren, unable to bear a child? Sarah, Abraham, Sarah, right? Hannah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, right? And, and you hear these stories, right? And it's really cool. With, with Sarah and Abraham, who came out of their, who was the son that came out of their, Isaac, a very important character in our story, our Bible stories, okay? And Isaac had a very important purpose. And the, there was an angel that visited Sarah and Abraham and told them, you will bear a child, right? Very similarly, here we have this wife of Manoah, okay, from the tribe of Dan. She's childless and able to give birth. She's visited also by a messenger of the Lord in the form of a man, but she said he looked like a god, okay? A messenger of the Lord told her she will bear a son who will be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. So even before Samson is born, even before he's conceived, there's already a purpose over his life, okay? And an angel of the Lord comes and tells her, listen, you will bear a child, so she goes home, and she's like, wow, I have to tell my husband. I have to tell Manoah. He's going to be so excited. So she goes, and she tells Manoah, and Manoah's like, what? What do you mean you will be pregnant? How is this possible? Who is this man that told you this? I don't know about you. If I was Manoah, I'd be a little concerned. My wife talked to a man that looks like a god, and she comes back with news. Oh, she's going to be pregnant? I'd be like, I know it wasn't me, right? So Manoah, he doesn't believe his wife at first. She's like, find this man who told you this. I want to make sure that you're getting the message right. He didn't trust his wife, right? So Manoah, he goes out and they find that they're visited again by this messenger of the Lord. And the messenger of the Lord tells them the same thing. Your wife will bear a child. He will be the one to set the Israelites free from this oppression of the Philistines. And just to make sure, you know, they needed to discern whether or not this was really the will of God, right? So what do they do? They prepare a meal for this man. The man will not eat it, right? They prepare the meal and they say, we will provide an offering, a sacrifice to the Lord. So they grind up flour and they put it there and, and they lay it before this messenger of the Lord. Sure enough, it is consumed. And they see, wow. This really is a message from the Lord. This is really what's going to happen. So they agree. My son will be a Nazarite. Now, what, what, what's this about a Nazarite? What is a Nazarite? Okay, let's look at the next slide. So a Nazarite 
it's not a, a race, it's not an ethnicity, it's not a tribe, okay? A Nazarite, it comes from that Hebrew word nazir, which simply means to separate or consecrate, okay? The Nazarite vow is usually entered into voluntarily. It could be either a male or a female that enters into this vow. And they choose to do this voluntarily to set themselves apart in service to the Lord, to be consecrated, to be holy, set apart. Okay? It usually, the vow usually has a beginning and it has an end. So it's only for a time. It's usually not for your whole life. Okay? It's for a time for a specific mission and purpose. And then there's a sacrifice that's usually offered at the end of the vow. There are three guidelines for the Nazarite. One, do not go near a dead body. Okay? Two, abstain from the fruit of the vine. This isn't only wine. This isn't only strong drink. This is even the grapes, okay? Even the skin of the grapes or the oil, the grapeseed oil. You are not allowed to take part of any of this fruit of the vine. And the third one is do not cut hair for the length of the vow. So as long as you are set apart, consecrated to the Lord, serving him, you will not take a razor to your head. You will not cut your hair. That's some nice hair. Imagine uh, Samson, his mother was told, you will not take a razor to this boy's head. From the time he is born, just let it grow out. So this guy, he's in service to the Lord from the womb for his whole life. So as a Nazarite, he's not allowed to cut his hair. So he had long, long locks. I reckon it was probably longer than this, okay, by the time he was serving. Hair could grow pretty fast. When we read through Samson's story, it says that he has like seven long locks. So it's probably braided and tied up, to, right, so he could move around. But he was not allowed to cut his hair for that length of time. And we'll come back to that point in the story. It says here at the end of chapter 13, it says that he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Okay. As he was growing, the spirit of the Lord was already stirring within him. Where did this boy get his strength? So fast forward, we hear the announcement, you will have a child, he will be a Nazarite from birth, and he will free the people. Then he grows, and the Spirit of the Lord is stirring in him. The next thing we see, he's already pursuing his love. All right? Fast forward, this is like adolescence on max, okay? And our next section is called Wedding, Riddles, and Drama. Wedding, Riddles, and Drama. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. What was from the Lord? What was from the Lord? Here in the story, if you look in your Bibles, okay, we're looking here at Judges chapter 14. He goes down to this town, to Timnah, and he sees this beautiful young Philistine woman, and he says, who is she? I want to get to know her better. Make her my wife. Imagine, love at first sight, I guess, right? He sees somebody that's pleasing to his eye. And we learn this about Samson. There's something about his eyes that are so significant, what he's drawn to. And he's drawn to the beauty of this young Philistine woman. 
Now remember, the Philistines are their oppressors. They're from the enemy clan. Here Samson is, he goes back home. He's like, Mom, Dad, got great news. I saw a girl, and I want you to get her for me as my wife. This was a custom. You go with the parents, you make that, uh, you visit with the parents, and you try and gain that girl to be the wife of your child. So he goes, Mom, Dad, there's this girl. She's down in Timna. She's a Philistine. She's beautiful. I want her to go get her for me. And his parents are like, what? Why can't you just stay with our own kind of people? Don't you know who they are? This is shameful. Why will you do this? Why can't you find a beautiful girl in our town? Right? They didn't know that this was part of the Lord's plan. Okay? They didn't know this was part of the Lord's plan because the Lord was looking for a way to confront the Philistines. And he was going to use even this, the desire of Samson's heart. Okay? So surely enough, the parents give in. They're like, okay, there's no changing Samson's mind. Let's go down and visit this girl and her family. So as they're traveling on the road, they decide, let's go. Here we go. And all of a sudden, Samson's lagging behind probably because it says that he was attacked by a young lion. A young lion came roaring towards him as he was on his way to meet his future bride. And it says very clearly here, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. This is an important part. The spirit of the Lord came upon him as that lion was roaring towards him. And he tears the young lion apart by hand as though you would tear apart a goat. Okay? A young goat. He doesn't tell his parents what happened. He keeps it a secret. All right? The spirit of the Lord moved on him. He tears apart the lion and he doesn't tell anybody. Secret. And right after that, it says, he went down, he talked to the woman, and he liked her. <laughs> so he tears apart a lion, and then he talks to the girl he loves. I mean, there's nothing better than that. You have this big heroic moment. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? You accomplish something that seems like totally impossible. And here it goes, yeah, yeah, you feel like you're the man. And then you sit down, and there's this beautiful girl, and she, you like her. You know? Everything a man could want. He has a beauty there. He has this mission that he's accomplishing. He feels strong. He feels like he's on top of the world. This is Samson. Now, these are the things that talk to men in our world today. Men want to conquer. Men want to be the, that alpha male. They don't want to be this little guy sitting at home all weak and wimpy. You know, they're, they're warriors. They're out there to fight. But they're also out there to have a beauty, you know? Men are out for beauty, guys, right? I think a lot of the time, it's our eyes that cause us to sin. Because men, when you see something visually, it stirs something up inside you, right? And this is what Samson was like. He's just like us, guys. He saw this beautiful woman. He, he'd stop at nothing to get her because it stirred something up in his soul, okay? It turns out he ends up traveling back traveling back with his parents to visit this girl again. He travels back to marry the woman. And on his way back to marry the woman, what does he do? He stumbles across the carcass of this lion that he had killed. He stumbles across this carcass and he sees a swarm of bees hovering over this dead body. And where bees are, there's honey. All right? And he reaches into the carcass 
of this dead lion. He pulls out the honeycomb with all the honey on it, and he starts to eat it, and it is oh so sweet. He goes to his parents and gives them some, some of this honey to eat as well, but he doesn't tell them where he got it from. Now, why didn't he tell them where he got it from? Because he took it from a dead body. Okay, so remember the Nazarite vow. Don't go near a dead body. Okay, he went toward the, near, the dead body and he even ate from it. Shortly after that, there's a picture of him looking at him, wrestling the young lion. After this happens, he, he finally makes his way down to the Philistines, and it was customary for them to have a feast, okay? These long wedding feasts lasted like seven days. And while he was there, it was customary that he would have a number of companions. So there were 30 men that were chosen for him. Now remember, he's an Israelite, and he's partying with the Philistines. And the Philistines are drinking, and there's definitely wine there, and these wedding feasts go on forever. And the Nazarite is not supposed to be near the fruit of the vine. Okay, we remember this. And he was probably drinking and enjoyed this uh, time with his 30 companions. He decides to make a wager, a bet. What are you going to do for seven days with guys you don't know? You know, let's make this interesting. So he told the riddle, a riddle-based bet, okay? And he gave the 30 men seven days to figure it out. The prize would be if they could figure out his riddle, then he would owe them 30 Israelite garments, tunics, okay, and, and clothing. But if um, he stumps them and there's no way they could figure it out, then they owe him 30 linens and uh, Israelite tunics. Where was he going to get 30 tunics from? He was pretty confident that nobody could break his riddle. Okay, so here we go. What's the riddle say? Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. How many days did he give them? Seven days. So they're going around scratching their heads. What does it mean? Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. You say it over and over, it makes no sense to them. They don't know what he's talking about. Remember, Samson had kept the lion a secret. He kept the source of his honey a secret. Even his parents didn't know the answer to this riddle, okay? So Samson, he and he alone had the answer for this riddle. The companions, the 30 companions got so worked up. They're like, we got to know the answer. Imagine, seven days. By day three, they don't know what to do. Day four, they go and they start to put pressure on Samson's wife. You must find out the answer to your husband's riddle or we will burn down your father's house. You and your father will not be safe because they didn't want to hand over their tunics to an Israelite. Okay. So she goes up to her husband, Oh, Samson, Samson, why are there secrets between us? Why won't you tell me the answer to the riddle? It's just me. 
he doesn't tell her. He's like, woman, I just met you. I haven't even told my parents about this yet. Why should I tell you? Great way to start off a marriage, you know? But he was able to keep this secret for a long time. Surely enough, he ends up giving in, giving in because he sees her crying, and there's nothing that breaks his heart more than seeing his wife crying. Why don't you love me? Why won't you tell me? So finally he gives in, and he tells her, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? So on the seventh day, Samson comes out to his companions at this wedding feast, and he's all, yeah, hey, hey, you guys don't know yet. Seven days, nobody gave me the answer yet. So he thinks he's got them beat, right? But on that seventh day, one of his companions raises his voice and he says, Samson, hoy, what is sweeter than honey? Hey, go back. What is stronger than a lion? <laughs> what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson hears this and he knows those are my words. There's only one person I told this to. It was my bride. Mm, the drama. You know, weddings, a lot of drama. Yeah, you know. You guys know, yeah? <laughs> you newly married? Yeah, there's drama. There was definitely drama at this wedding. All right? But what does Samson do? He doesn't berate his, his wife. He doesn't attack these guys that answered the question. You know what he does? He makes good on his bet. He leaves the wedding feast, his own wedding feast. He leaves, he goes and finds 30 other Israelites. And it says that the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he strikes down 30 more men. He strips them of everything they have. And then he goes back and delivers the clothing to the people he made the bet with. He was serious. I mean, if he had won the bet, he would expect them to give him the 30 tunics, right? So here we see a little bit of Samson's character shining through. He's a man of his word, sometimes. Okay? He's a man of his word, sometimes. But he was so fueled up with anger. Imagine going back. I just had to kill 30 guys to give you guys this stuff because my wife told you the answer. He's pissed. So he goes home. He goes back to his father's house. He is so upset. He's burning with anger, it says in the Bible. And he returned to his father's home. While he was at his father's home, guess what happens? There's one little line in the Bible. It tells us that his father-in-law gave his wife to one of his companions. Samson doesn't know this, obviously. He went off in a rage, you know. So Samson comes back to visit his wife, and he wants to go into her chamber. And he says, knock, 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 let me in. I'm here to see my wife. Deliver her to me. The father-in-law, he's greeted by his father-in-law. He says, Samson. What are you doing here? No, 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 this isn't right. You can't go and be with her anymore because I gave her to your companion. Because I thought you were angry. I thought you hated her. Why? That's why I gave her away. So father-in-law, he's freaking out, you know? Big Samson, where's my wife? What do you mean you gave my wife away? All the agony, all the pain. 
He loved this woman dearly. He wanted to be with her, right? So what does he do? He receives the bad news which angers him. In his anger, he goes in his own strength to exact personal revenge against the Philistines. Do you know how he does this? This is a part of the story I think we leave out a lot of the time. We don't want the kids doing this, but here's a picture. He finds 300 foxes. 300 foxes. And he ties burning torches to their tails. And then what do foxes do? They run. They run quick. And where does he set off the the foxes? Run free in the fields of the Philistines. Run free and burn their crops. Run free and burn their vineyards and their, their olive groves. Run free. Do you think that was going to get him his wife back? No. It just upset the Philistines even more. So here's this personal battle that's going on between Samson and the Philistines. And the Philistines see their crops burning. They're like, Samson will pay for what he's done. And Samson says, give me back my wife. I want my wife. You know, you know what they did, the Philistines, what they did. They took the father and the daughter and burned them. The same way that Samson burned their crops. What did that do to Samson? More anger, vengeance, revenge. I must, I must do something about this. I must make them pay. So he goes off. And it says that he goes to dwell in a cave. He's not wanted by the Philistines. He's not welcomed by them. He's not really welcomed with the Israelites anymore. Some questions that came about the wedding in the first place was why did God allow this marriage in the first place? Right? We go back to that verse 4. The parents didn't know that this was the Lord's, that the Lord was blessing Samson's decision to marry the enemy. Why did God allow this marriage? Tells us that God wanted a way in. And I'm like, I'm sure God could have found another way. But Samson was chosen for this purpose. Right? Samson was chosen to free the Israelites. He was chosen by God even before he was born. Chosen for a purpose. Even when we go wayward, the way that Samson made his choices, I want you to remember that God's purposes are always fulfilled. No matter what we choose and what foolish decisions we might make, the Lord could take things that seem so off. He could take things that seem like you've really messed up your life. And he could still use that. Because it's not up to us to make God's will happen. God's will will always be done. Okay. So if you ever felt like you were a mess up, like a screw up, If you ever felt like you've gone so far that God can't use you anymore, remember Samson. Okay? There's a lot more that Samson did, questionable things. What did Samson accomplish when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him? 
So far we've read, what, two things? Where the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, what were they? He tore the lion apart, and what's the next thing? He was able to take down the 30 Israelites, okay? Once again, striking them down, it tells us that he killed them. And it also tells us that he had to work with the bodies to remove their clothing. Once again, what's he doing? He's touching dead bodies, okay? Breaking that Nazarite vow once again. He's already compromised his Nazarite vow, being so close to the vineyards where he let the foxes free, by being where there was drinking and partying during that feast. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, yes, Philistine, Philistine men. I'm sorry, I was mistaken. He didn't kill his own people. Thank you for pointing that out to me. I made a mistake in case I confused anybody. Thank you, Mother, for always setting me the right way. I must humbly accept the uh, correction. <laughs> in case you were wondering, my mother's correct. He did strike down 30 Philistines, not Israelites. <laughs> what actions did Samson do in his own strength? He took the foxes to burn everything, right? The Lord wasn't with him in that, okay? It wasn't his strength. He was being sneaky, and he sent the 300 foxes to do his dirty work because he wanted fast results, so he was going to use anything else that could move quickly, okay? Because it wasn't the Spirit of the Lord working in his strength. So after all this happens, Samson's wedding was just a, a horror show, okay? The fields are burning, and the Philistines want... Samson. They just want Samson's head. They just want to take him down and subdue him. They don't want the strong Samson to be out there anymore, ruining their lives. So the Philistines go to the Israelites and say, give us Samson. We're not here to fight you. We just want Samson. So the people of Judah, they go down. It said there were 3,000 3, men of Judah that went down to Samson's cave. And they approach Samson. They say, Samson, what are you doing, man? Don't you know that the Philistines, they're the ones ruling over us. How could you do this to them? You're shaming them. You're making it bad for us. Just, we're here to take you to them. Allow us to bind you in ropes and deliver you into their hands so that we could have peace. Samson comes out. He just puts his hands out, and he says, I agree to do this under one condition. You promise that you will not kill me yourselves. He didn't want God's people to come under their own sin, to be given into their own sin. As a judge, he was still upholding, don't allow your anger towards me cause you to kill me. That will, you know, that will cause you to sin against the Lord. Just deliver me into their hands. What does it say here? Samson was betrayed by his own people as he was being delivered by them to the enemy camp. It says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he broke free from his ropes. 
It said that it shattered like chaff. Okay. He broke free from the ropes. The, the things binding him, they fell to the ground. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He bends down. He bends down, picks up that fresh jawbone, and he proceeds to kill 1,000 Philistines. 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And I thought, well, that's kind of a weird story. He goes willingly. It's like the Trojan horse, right? They're welcoming Samson into their presence. And then there's a surprise attack at the last minute. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson, he breaks free from the ropes. He's a really strong guy, but the power of the Lord helped give him enough energy to go and kill the 1,000 Philistines that were there. What is, why the jawbone of a donkey? Why not a sword? Why not a rock? You know, like, the, it's so bizarre, the jawbone of the donkey. We had a study here a few months back about donkeys and how donkeys served in a way as a messenger. It represented a messenger of the message of, of the Lord. So here, the jawbone of a donkey is a mouthpiece of the word. Remember, there was a talking donkey in the Bible, right? Balaam's donkey. And that jawbone of the donkey, it's funny, it wasn't the hip bone of the donkey. It was a mouthpiece. God had a message for the Philistines that day. And he wanted to show them through the use of the jawbone of a donkey, his message was coming through. The Spirit of the Lord is on Samson. You do not mess with the Israelites anymore. The Lord was giving the Israelites peace that day when he slaughtered the thousand Philistines. What part of this story has to do with Jesus? What is being revealed about God in this story? It's a weird story, and I encourage you to study it on your own. I encourage you to ask many questions. When you read strange things in the Bible, ask the questions and seek God for that wisdom. Um, seek him for discernment and clarification of his word. I don't want to be standing here trying to interpret anything for anybody. I don't want to set you the wrong way. That's not my job. It's not our job to do for anybody. When we read these strange things, let's continue to seek together and ask God, why did you tell this story in the Bible? How does this point to Jesus? Remember, everything that we've been studying in the Old Testament, it all points to Jesus in some way. And all the things that we read in the New Testament, all the things that we're supposed to be living by, it all points back to helping us live in the way of Jesus. Okay, so I want to just introduce that part of the story to you. I don't want to give away everything that I've come to. I might be wrong. And I don't feel comfortable setting anybody else the wrong way. But what part of the story has to do with Jesus and what is revealed about God here? I encourage you once again, study the story again on your own. Study with your access groups. Ask those questions. Seek God for the wisdom and listen to the answers that come from his spirit.
Our last section here is called Repentance and Remembrance. So after Samson had killed these thousand Philistines, do you think he'd want to go back to the Israelites? No. The Israelites betrayed him. Okay? He's not welcome with the Philistines. He's probably still living out in that cave, doing his thing, but finally the Israelites have peace. So Samson's like, okay, they have peace. What more is my life worth now? Why am I still this Nazarite? Why, why do I still have to do everything that God wants me to do? What more does God want from me? Right? Do you ever feel that way? That you've given your life to God and you're wondering, God, what do you want from me? What do you need me to do? Like we saw him beat down those thousand men with the donkey's jawbone and the Lord helped him do that. But at the end of it, I missed something here, it shows that he was spent. He was so tired after that and he was thirsty. He was so thirsty that he was begging the Lord, you know, you helped your servant do this great thing. Will you allow your servant to die now and be given into the hands of the Philistines? So what God did in that place, he opened up in the hollow, he opened up a space in the rocks of that place and springs of water started to rise up so that he could drink. Sometimes we might complain to God and think he's demanding too much of us. But in this story, I love how God does this at the end of that whole battle. He provides refreshing. He provides something that in a very impossible sort of situation, he allows water to come from a rock. Are there other stories in the Bible where we have heard of water spilling out from a rock? Moses striking the rock and life-giving water comes from him. We sang a beautiful song today. Christ alone, cornerstone. When he was pierced on the cross, what came flowing from him? Water. All these things were pointing to Jesus. In an impossible situation, we could find our re refreshing and our reviving as we find ourselves in Jesus. When we are there in that hard place, Jesus is our rock. And from him come living water. And God always provides this for us so long as we remain in Christ. Let's get back to the story of Samson. He goes down to Gaza, right? This is one of the stronghold cities of the Israelites. And it tells us that he goes and he sleeps with, well, he goes to spend a night with a prostitute, okay? Maybe he just wanted a bed to sleep on. It doesn't say that he did anything with her. We don't know. There's no detail there. But he, he went to this prostitute's home. And while he was there, it was learned by the people, Samson's here. Let's get up early in the morning to kill him. But it says he didn't stay the night. By midnight, in the middle of the night, he decided to get up. And he left that prostitute's house. And he saw all the people there, but for some reason, he was able to make it past them all. They were waiting at the city gate for him. You know what he does at the city gate? Remember, this is a stronghold city for the Philistines. There would be this huge 
gate with posts and beams that go across so people can barge in, you know? It's a strongly built gate, the enemy's gates. Samson, it says he takes hold of the gate and he shakes it free from where it's held. Bars, posts, and all. He carries this thing away from the city and pushes it, pushes it, pushes it up to the top of a hill. He takes the enemy's gates and brings it to the top of a hill. It wasn't like the hill was right outside the gate either. The Bible tells us it was about 38, 40 miles away, carrying the enemy gate on his back, bringing it up to the mountain. So when I read a story like this, you, how could you not stop to think? How does this relate to Jesus? Our Lord Jesus Christ carried the cross, a sign of death. This was the enemy's gate. This is where the enemy thought that he had the victory over Christ. Take that enemy gate. Bring it up to the top of a mountain, to the top of a hill, for all to see. They were ready to kill him. This is a foretelling of what happened with Jesus. They were ready to kill Samson, the messenger from God. The one that was meant to set the Israelites free from their oppression. Jesus came to set all mankind free from the oppression of sin. Jesus breaks down the enemy gates and nothing could prevail against Jesus now. Jesus said, I am the way. He is the door. All right? So he takes the enemy's door, shatters it down, and he says, now I'm the way. This is the only way you're getting to the Father. It's through me. Don't look anywhere else. Don't think you could walk through some other doors and it will give you the things I'm promising you. Because the only way you get the things that are promised by God is through Jesus. Are there enemy gates that are still present in your life? Are there things that are still calling you to sin, calling you to your fleshly desire. The way Samson went to that city, he stayed with a prostitute. There was something about this lust in his flesh that he has that draws him back there. And when he realized, I'm not supposed to be here, he goes and turns around that situation, breaking down that enemy gate. Friends, there are still enemy gates that are present in many of our lives, and they don't need to be there anymore. Do not let them keep you trapped in, barred into your city of sin, okay? Remember, Jesus Christ broke down all those things that are keeping you oppressed. The only thing keeping you there now is yourself. When will we wake up in our ignorance, remember he got up in the middle of the night, Samson. Getting up in the middle of the night is like waking up from our ignorance and doing something about our situation. God could help Samson anytime he wanted, but Samson needed to be moving. He needed to be making his choices. 
this one day he did something very right. Shortly after this, it goes straight to a story where Samson then falls in love again. He sees a woman. Her name? Delilah. Why, 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 Delilah? She was a woman of poor character, but she was beautiful. But guess what? She was also a Philistine. Wow. Philistine wife, Philistine prostitute, Philistine... Delilah, <laughs> you know, and he finds her and he's like, ooh, who's this beautiful girl? He falls for her. And early on in their coming together times, she was approached by the lords of the Philistines. There were five lords of the Philistines that approached her and said, listen, we want you to find out what makes Samson so strong. Where does he get this strength from? And in turn, you will get 11,000 pieces of silver from each of us. You're hearing 11,000 pieces of silver, and then they up it even more from each of us. That's 55,000 pieces of silver. Okay, let me find out. You know, so they're spending their time together, Delilah and Samson, enjoying their time, running in the fields, frolicking, whatever it is they do. Samson played a lying game and gave away his manhood here a little and there a little. Eventually, we see that he gives up his secret. She keeps asking him, what makes you so strong? So he, he tells her, oh, you know, bind me up in rope. He's playing a game, you know. And then she binds him up in rope thinking, okay, the Philistines are going to be happy with this. And she yells while he's sleeping, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he just shreds those new pieces of rope again like it's nothing. And she goes, oh, Samson, you made such a fool of me. I thought you won't be strong anymore. She's being all funny and cute. I mean, we know Samson's a guy that could keep a secret, right? I mean, he kept that secret for his riddle. He kept the secret from his parents about that lion. He didn't go out boasting about the things that he was doing, right? So he was able to keep a secret from this Delilah for quite some time. It says day after day, day after day. It doesn't say it was like just a week. It it implies that they, they spent much time together. There was this relationship that developed between them. And he was able to keep this secret that he kept his whole life. Eventually he gives up his secret. No razor has ever touched my head from the time I was born. If my head was shaved, I would lose my strength. So we see a picture of Delilah, that beautiful Delilah, and her strong Samson. She says, Samson, why don't you come? Lie down here, take a nap, you know? And while he's sleeping, it says that his head was shaved. And once again, they play this game. And she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Samson gets up. He's bald. And there's something the Bible tells us, a key point. He didn't realize that the Lord had left him. He didn't realize that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines start charging at him. Ah! Boom! What happened? He's down on the ground. They're binding him up. 
it says that they gouge his eyes out. They would have done this with a burning stick. That's how they'd normally gouge out the eyes with a burning stick, right into the sockets. The symbolism of this is huge, for me anyway. When I read through the story, I'm like, why did they need to gouge his eyes out? He's already no strength. It's interesting, because what caused him to be pulled toward the Philistines in the first place? The lust of his eyes and his flesh and his pride of life, all at the same time. I want that Philistine woman, get her for me, you know? The fleshly desires took over because he saw the woman that he wanted. Then he saw that prostitute. And then he saw Delilah. That was the lust that kept pulling him away. With his eyes gone, he could no longer set his eyes on another that would pull him back to where he used to be. Interesting, hey? I see that almost as a bit of grace. A grace moment, you know? A grace moment because the thing that causes you to sin is now no longer there. That's huge. We see it like, oh, poor Samson, he got his eyes gouged out. Gross. And we feel icky about it. We try to relate to him. But this is grace. I also found after this that they gouged his eyes out, they took him prisoner, they bound him up in bronze shackles, and they brought him to their prison where he started to grind wheat, grind flour, like a mule. Remember, it was a donkey, a donkey's jawbone that he killed everybody with. And he made a declaration, with the donkey's jawbone, I made donkeys out of the Philistines. Because the word for donkey in Hebrew, sounds very close to a heap. So he made a heap of the Philistines, a heap of dead people with the donkey's jawbone. And then he ends up grinding like a mule. Everything that he did, they wanted to do back to him. Okay. They burned their fields. He burned their fields. They burned his eyes. He killed with the donkey's jawbone. They make him live like a donkey the rest of his days to show that they were great, that they were powerful, that they were the people that overcame this great man, Samson. They wanted to relish in that. They wanted to just revel in that for a while. They would bring the children along to see him grinding in the mill, to taunt him and tease him and show, see, look at that strong guy. He's just like a donkey. While he's grinding, you know, just the, those two things. It tells me that sin blinds us. And then sin grinds us. Those two things. When we give in to our sin, when we allow it to have that over us, we can no longer see what God's really wanting. And we end up paying that price, and it grinds our spirit, it grinds our soul. And we end up laboring, scurrying in darkness and blindness. While he's there in the prison, the Bible tells us that his hair eventually grew back 
with his repentance. He started to have this repentant heart. You have a lot of time to think, you know, grinding day after day. What else are you going to do? Lord, what have I done wrong? Lord, why did you allow this to happen? Lord, I did everything that you asked me to do. Why am I paying this price? Lord, why am I here? It ended up turning to, Lord, I am so sorry for my foolishness. Lord, I'm so sorry for the choices that I had been making. Lord, I know that I'm the one that ended up here because of my own choices. Lord, I am so sorry I didn't listen to you in the first place. I'm sorry that I broke my vow. I'm sorry I didn't stay consecrated and separated to you. I'm sorry that I wasn't holy to be used by you anymore, Lord God. I'm sorry that I I pushed you to the point where you left me. When the Spirit of the Lord left him, Lord, I'm so sorry. He's in this dark, rock-bottom sort of place. But his hair started to grow back. If there is one sentence that brings me hope in the entire story of Samson, his hair started to grow back. That's it. And along with that, his repentance. It tells me something big is going to happen. Something big is about to happen. When he was brought out to be humiliated for the amusement of the Philistines, he called out to God to avenge him for the loss of his eyes. God, I want to make them pay for what they did to me. You notice with Samson, it's always personal vengeance, right? It was always personal vengeance. And he says, let them pay for what they did to me, God. And they got him up there in the middle of this feast. They were offering sacrifices to their pagan god, Dagon. And Dagon, he was a sea god. He was man up top and fish below. So he was like a merman god, right? And they're worshiping this great Dagon. Oh, great Dagon! We have conquered Samson. You have delivered Samson into our hands. Oh, we praise you, great Dagon. While they are worshiping their false god, and they were all gathering there in that place. It says on the rooftop there were 30, there were 3,000 Philistines on the rooftop alone. And the rooftop overlooked into this area, this temple where they worshiped their Dagon god. Samson said, lean me up against the pillar where I could feel it so I could steady myself as he stood to be humiliated in front of all these people. Between the two pillars, he felt it and he prayed to God, Lord, please renew my strength one last time. These people will pay because they're worshiping this God instead of worshiping the one true God of heaven. And for that reason, he offered himself as a sacrifice. He said, Lord, let me die with them. Surely enough, he stood there, and the power of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in a powerful way. And he bent down, and he pushed with all his might. And those pillars, the two central pillars in the middle of that temple, they buckled, and the whole roof collapsed in, killing every person in that place, including Samson. All the enemies in that place were defeated. Because the Spirit of the Lord was gracious and he heard the cry of his servant one last time.
It said, after the roof had collapsed and everybody died, Samson's family came. They collected his body and gave him a proper burial. I mean, how does this not point to the story of Jesus? In that same position, we see Samson. In his final moments, he cries out to God. Just like our Lord cried out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In front of everybody mocking him, humiliating him, and he's facing his death. Jesus, in his last breaths, also said, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And Samson willingly said, God, let me die with them. He was doing this, offering a sacrifice at the end of his Nazarite vow. Some people call this story myth. But in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, where many people's names were listed because of their faith, it tells us that Samson, he is listed there. Samson was a real man. This story actually happened. Some people say that Jesus was just a man. Some, say pe some people say that Jesus died, but he didn't rise again. Some people say that Jesus is just a myth. You decide for yourself. I believe that Jesus is real. I believe that Jesus was sent by God to free us from the bondage of our sin. I believe that Jesus died and God rose him from the grave. I believe that our God is alive today. I believe that God is still working miracles, that he is still powerful, and he is very able to do wondrous things through our lives today. I have some closing verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose, purposes and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. My friends, will you live your life a living sacrifice, separated and consecrated to the Lord and his kingdom purposes? Will you allow God to fulfill his will and his purposes through your life? Are you ready to allow the Lord to break down all the strongholds and strip away all the things that are keeping you shackled to your former life? 
Are you willing to allow God to free you day by day by day? My friends, you don't have to be strong in your own strength. Just as we saw that the strongest man that ever lived lost all his strength and he needed to completely rely fully on the strength of the Lord. We need to do the same as Samson did. Every day, do not put your trust in yourself. Do not put your trust in other people. Trust only in the one true living God. 